0: Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 94. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's guest is Karen McCadden, a longtime contributor. I'm a big fan of her work. Looking forward to talking to her in just a moment. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. we have been a continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization We just do this because we love poetry. I know you love poetry because you make this a big part of your week. It's probably the highlight of your week, I would say. It's definitely the highlight of mine. So if you would, please do click the like button. Make sure you're subscribed. Share this if you can. And that would be greatly appreciated because that's the only way that poetry spreads around the internet. The uh, algorithms don't really care about poetry otherwise. And um, that's how social media is. It relies on algorithms. So you have to pitch in and share and subscribe and like and click the bell and things like that. Now, as I mentioned, today's guest is Karen McCadden. Uh, we published her first, um, issue number 32, um, and we published several of her poems, a great poem and poet respond as well. She's the author of American Wake, most recently, which I'll put on the screen right here. Uh, this is American Wake from uh, Black Sparrow Press. Uh, her debut collection, Landscape with Plywood Silhouettes, won the Vermont Book Award and the New Issues Poetry Prize. She also has a chapbook, Keep This to Yourself, that was awarded the Button Poetry Prize. Um, She's an NEA Fellowship, um, Sustainable Arts Foundation Writing Award. Her poems have been in Best American Poetry, Academy of American Poets, Poem of Day, all sorts of amazing journals. And you can find more about her at karenmccadden.com, just spelled like it is on the screen there. And uh, here she is, Karen McCadden. Hey, Karen, how you doing today?
1: Tim, I'm good. How
0: are you? I'm doing great. and just a pleasure to have you. I've been such a fan of your work for uh, for such a long time. Um, and you just mentioned that I had no idea that one of the first poems you published was in Rattle. I was saying that your work is so polished that it was really uh, from the first poem we published. Um, so it's, it's really cool to have you here. Do you want to start out with a poem?
1: I do. Sure. I'll start with thank you for your kind words. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah, and, and um, I think it was back in 2009. So. Yeah, I'm gonna start with what I have lost at sea. What I have lost at sea is a question you insist has an answer, the gap between flotsam and jetsam, begging the question about discarding versus truly losing. And while you explain that flotsam floats up from inside and jetsam is introduced into the water, I think instead about generosity, about walking into the bathroom at work And the paper towel dispenser has already begun its offering, triggered in the dark to roll out its dry tongue before I open the door and switch on the light. How one place where the dark is holy and offerings are made is not the sea, where generosity is not a thing, but beauty is. The octopus walking on two legs is beautiful, jet packing away or shrinking into a shadow it makes of itself. Countless waving arms of anemones, the seahorse that never seems to tip, the tiny fans in all the gills, the moray eels in caves, even the shark. I think finding anything in the sea would be impossible. I am not at sea. I have lost everything here.
0: And that was What I Have Lost at Sea from uh, American Wake, the new book from Karen McCadden. Um, to start out, Karen, uh, do you want to just talk a little bit about how you got into writing poetry i 'm always curious about that um Was it something that you did you know from a very young age was it something that you came to more you know more recently um and, and what drew you into writing like why are you here a poet on a on a poetry podcast instead of any other of the million places you could be
1: well um That's a great question. I found recently a poem I wrote when I was in fourth grade that was really weird (laughs) and had some strange um, comparisons in it and similes in it. And um, I think I've always been really attracted to the idea of, um, which is my imagination has always been a rich place. And so every time in school someone would give me a chance to write poetry, I'd be really excited and I I would do it. Um, But I um, fell in love with poetry in high school, um, was accidentally thrown a book of Beat Poetry, uh, The New American Poets, 1945 to 1960. And I was so excited that someone was doing something with language that wasn't happening in my English class, you know, that there was so much tension between the words and things were so fun um, and strange and beautiful. Um, I just was really attracted to the idea of making sense in a different way with language. Um, And there's a hundred different ways I could answer that question. But I think I'm also just kind of weird in my mind. And I, I love poetry for... How it lets us find strange connections.
0: Yeah, this po- this book of poems, um, "American Wake," um, a very moving collection. I-, I would say, even though the descriptions don't really go into it, it feels mostly about your brother um, who passed away um, after a drug addiction, and uh, the poems about him are just so powerful and um, and just I don't know emotionally, sort of grasping for the meaning that the that the and the way that poetry does really. Um, how did how did this collection come together, and um, and I know the the book um, the poems about your brother were part of that chapbook too. So how yeah. did you how did you go about putting this book together with well, the other topics too, because they talk about family and Ireland and and things like that as well. So so how was the yeah. book coming together for you?
1: Well, it's it's an interesting that you would start with the story of my brother because that comes last for me in putting the book together. Um, by force of the fact that he died late in the process of putting the book book together. I had been writing about him for many, many years. A lot of the poems about him dying happened long before he died, sort of as a, almost like sounds morbid, but like a practice run, just like, what will it be like? Like, what if I lose him? What if I lose him? Um, So some of the poems that seem to know he's already passed um, are from 10 years before I lost him. So there's a strange chronology there, but I was writing about home and, you know, my first book is largely about divorce and rebuilding family, and so I've been writing about that, started going back to Ireland, at this real obsession with home, um, and I thought, well, how am I, I going to put this book together? What's going to happen? How is it going to work? Um, and then when my brother died, the poems that came really quickly, um, half of the chapbook were from before he died and half were f- from a very quick period after I lost him, and um, I guess I, I really struggled with how to put it together and then realized that the, the thread of home and the fractures of home was really my focus. Like, How does home get fractured, and then how do you move forward when home is fractured? How do you regain home, I think, maybe is the question that I'm trying to answer.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good way to set the stage for some more poems. Do you want to read maybe two more?
1: Sure. Um, this poem is from page 25, Portrait of the Family as a Definition, Soon, from old English Sona, immediately, at once, also Frisian, Saxon, Proto-Indo-European, archaic, right now, has come to indicate the near future, has come to indicate promise, as it will happen. One, within a short period, A, at a time that is not long from now, as soon said the magic eight ball, The church bells ringing meant that another of his friends would be buried soon. Soon, we will all sit down to dinner. Soon after the last time they gave him the money, he came clean. Who knew how soon he would grow old? B, in a quick way, quickly as, how soon can you help us? After you watch the boy through one-way mirrors, how soon will you understand? After dinner, we play with the Ouija board, but my brother is high and nods off soon before we spell anything. How soon can you give him more money? I wish you'd told me sooner. It was too soon to know. See, in a short time after something happens, as the window has been broken and soon the thief steps in. When the brother is desperate, he says he needs food. And so as soon as they can, the family gives him money. When the needle is inserted, soon the body tingles like sleep, and the brother nods off. How did it get so late so soon? Two, used to indicate one's preference in a particular matter as the mother and father would sooner do anything than forget. They would all sooner wait for a knock on the door than answer the phone. I'd just as soon forget. Synonyms, any minute now, before long, in a little while, presently, antonyms after, afterward, later, never.
0: And that was Portrait of the Family as a Definition from American Wake. Uh, do you want to do another one now?
1: Sure. From page 26, my mother talks to her son about her heart. So what? So what that you grew inside of someone else? It doesn't mean you aren't in here now, in here right here oh my heart what's in here is not my own anymore anyway there's teflon and stitching other people's hands have been in here by this i mean to tell you there is room there is a house in here i had hoped to fill i saved clothes forever waiting for more babies so i wanted you i always wanted you a heart has four rooms you are one son There is room. When I was young and wanting to bring you home, they found the hole in my heart and patched it. I grow older, and the outside door fails, and so I get a new one. In the lumberyard of the heart, the materials are strange. Teflon, like I said, for the hole, and a valve from a cow to seal the doorway. Over and over, I shore this place up. Steady, old girl, I say to my heart. And I call in its ticks to the doctor. I love her like I love you, like I have always loved you. She calls me back and reads my stats. I call your sister and tell her the score, but I am always winning another day. Steady, steady ticks the pacemaker. I keep a good house, you know that. These days I keep my heart like a summer cottage. The light is bright and warm. I won't speak of anything else. You forget, you forget all the time. You are supposed to come home. You are supposed to know these things. You are supposed to know which door to knock on that I will open it.
0: And that was my mother talks to her son about her heart from uh, American Week. Um, you know, these poems, when I, um, you know, good books of poetry always seem to like center around certain problems or things that the poet are grappling with. And, and that's why it felt like the poem, like the, the sort of the other poems around the book feel to me, like context surrounding the poems about your brother. Um, did you find that in the process, I know you said you wrote some of those poems earlier, um, but and then some of the poems after he died. Um, do you feel like the poems were a sort of healing process or coming to terms process with what happened for you? Because that, I don't know. It's it's just weird, but the best poems always seem to be that kind of thing where it's it's like a personal, like like there's something you're trying to make sense of, and then you do, and then we get to learn from your process of making sense of something that happened. Um, is that was that your experience of, of putting the book together?
1: Yeah, you know, um, and also of writing it because um, this was a physical journey too. Part of the story of the book is bringing my brother's ashes back to Ireland, and he uh, was adopted into my family. Um, And part of what I did was I discovered he never knew where he was from in Ireland. But after he passed away, his uh, half sister found us and was able to give me resources so I could find where he was from. So part of the physical journey was to find how to bring him back home, Hmm. you know, in a literal DNA sense. And um, part of it is part of the answer to that question is none of the poems about losing him help me in any way. That's part of the answer. They are just difficult. And um, I wanted to tell other people. I wanted to sort of release the stigma and just tell the story. What is it like to be in a family where you lose someone like this? Um, so I wanted to do something like that, but also um, the narrative of, of putting him to rest is I think what, what helps in, in the healing process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found myself toward the end of putting the book together. I wrote some new poems that were about that finding that rest for him. So I think, I think the, the short answer is yes, but it's complicated.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I should say that if anybody has any questions for Karen, please leave them in the chat windows on either Facebook or YouTube, and I'll pass them along as we go throughout the show. So uh, I'm monitoring both those, but nothing on Twitter. So you have to leave them on uh, Facebook or YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what What did your um your family think about writing poems um, about your brother? Was that an issue? Did they um did, have they read the book and and what do they think? I mean, it must be a hard thing to to even show them the book. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, it took me a long time to, when I, uh, won the button poetry prize, I was, I don't know if I was even ready for the book yet. And I was like, Oh no, (laughs) Oh no, now what? And it took me quite a long time to tell them and show them. And, um, you know, my family is pretty private and I, I talked to my mom and dad about, um, how a poet is in some ways a journalist and I felt like I was being dishonest if I didn't write this story. Um, and they, in the end, have been really happy and proud that you know the poems are doing good work. But it, it you know, they they're supportive. They're so supportive and so loving. And and it's just the three of us now. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. And it's just it's such an important topic too because the the opioid epidemic is like a real epidemic. I don't know if you know the numbers. I don't. I don't know off the top of my head. But but maybe eighty thousand a year or something die of. um
1: yeah overdose the, if uh,
0: I'm making it up um,
1: one of the poems I have has a statistic in it statistic in it that it was seventy mm-hmm.
0: yeah um, and ever and since fentanyl came in too um, which just a tiny amount of that can be too much um it's just such a such an awful thing um to be going on um was your brother um addicted for a very long time um it was it was sort of the culmination of um of a long period well he
1: he had um he had been, um, uh, it's hard to talk about. He yeah. had been addicted to heroin for a really long time and most of his adult life. And he was almost 50 when he died and it was doing really well. And it, for, for him, it, it had to do with uh, pain management. He had broken his neck on a dirt bike when he was young. And I think a lot of what he was trying to figure out was how to manage pain. Um, so it was a lifelong condition and I, you know, in that, in those years, in those decades, that's three decades, right? Um, we were not yet as a culture ready to think of it as a disorder or as an illness. We we're thinking of it as a behavior. So the tough, those were some tough years to, um, to have problems with substances.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, just, and that's so often the case is, is that it's, you know, prescribed at first
1: and then, you know, the prescription runs out and, you know, it's, it's, or it's not prescribed and then you just look for something yeah. to make your feel like you can work and you know move in the world Mm -hmm. yeah 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 Uh, well do you want to read a couple more poems sure um so i can jump around in the book if you want me to read more poems about him Uh, whatever Um, you'd
0: like i don't want to stick to just that topic because there is a lot more going on in the book um than just that but that was sort of the first thing that came up so
1: yeah um and just a silly question are you okay with with um with colorful language.
0: Yeah, we can do anything we want here. There, there's a little sure. button that says, like, is this children appropriate? And I push That's
1: no. So. So. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Okay. This is a poem um, inspired by, there's a, uh, an illustration about the immigration, uh, people emigrating actually from Ireland to the States and how um, they when they would leave on the boat, the people would be in, like, there's a, just wait a second, how do I want to say this? Um, people in the water. Up to their hips, waving goodbye to the boats because you would never see the person again. So, this is uh, this poem is called In the Harbor and it's inspired by uh, an illustration along those lines from the 1800s. I love the moment, this is on page 30. Sorry, In the Harbor. I love the moment after buckling the seatbelt in a plane headed God knows where, anywhere. How I know there is no way to do laundry, dishes, or fix a leak. Everything all fuck it back behind me on the ground once I've lifted off. Which I think is almost, but also nothing like that moment after the Aquitania has started moving. But first the smaller boat in the harbor, which maybe I am on with them when time happens again, starts to move out to sea. Last night we drank all night like I was the new dead one. The stories told again and again like prayers. When we are out to sea, we look back to see faces ringing the shore like a fence. Those we love in up to their hips in waves, waving goodbye like mad.
0: And that was In the Harbor from American Wake. And that's a good poem too ask something i was wanted to talk about a little bit because your poems are so um and that's just a good example that your poems are so so concrete and full of image and then they and then the, you let yourself go to um so there's sort of this dreamy quality like you don't know you always know the situation of what's going on in the poems you know like the subject matter but then you let yourself like move in a way that's almost like dreamlike where um you know you don't know exactly who the i is and and sort of the the points of view shift and things like that like they do in a dream um and and it seems like it runs that way through all your poems or at least all the poems i've read um is that something that you're conscious of that you um uh, like how do you approach writing a poem like are you i I don't know it's it's hard to imagine how this gets written um because it's so it's so like free even though it's um ends up very concrete and image-based and and sort of shaped at the same time so what is your writing process like to, to come up with this sort of style
1: That's such a that's like I feel like that's the best question anyone's ever asked me. And I want to talk about it for like an hour. Well go ahead. (laughs) Uh, But but I um I love the concrete and I love um things that feel gritty and 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 palpable. I love I love scene and I love language that feels old and um just I guess palpable. And I I am such a restless minded person. Um And I love poems that make a shift that sends you somewhere. Like, wait a minute, where have we gone? Um, Why are we here? How did that happen? Um, And so in this poem, I was thinking about how much I love to travel. Like, I'll just specifically talk about this poem. I love to travel. And I literally love the moment, not literally, I actually love the moment where you put the seatbelt on in the plane. Because anything you were worried about, like, really, it's just not possible. And I thought about um, in... All these years I've been going back to Ireland and reconnecting with my family there and refinding them, actually, which is another story. Um, I've been thinking about how permanent that moment was for people. Like for me, it's a luxury. I can just be like, oh, I'm going to go and then I'm going to come home and then my stuff is going to be here. But for them, it was forever. You know, my grandparents came. That's actually my grandfather right there who came over. That's his immigration photo. Um, He never was going to see his family again. You know, so I was thinking about that juxtaposition of the two, and I I wanted to put them together. Um, Those two, like the luxury versus the lack of luxury. And I I tend to write long poems in this book. I tried real hard to bring some of them into a sonnet shape to try to um, constrict and see what I could make happen. I don't know if that fully answers the question, but um, I'm just really excited by poems that send me somewhere I don't expect. So is
0: there a way that you like let yourself go as you're writing to, to be able to leap to new places? Cause that seems like a thing that a lot of poets struggle with, you know, it's just, you know, having like a destination in mind when they set out to write the poem and then writing to that instead of like taking all these side tours and, oh. and shifting.
1: Yeah. Like I, I, um, I know what I want a poem to feel like, but I don't know where I want it to go. And I usually know where I want it to start. And I know some of the materials I want to use, but I try really hard not to know um, where I'm headed. Yeah. There might be some poems who, some poets who think about, um, I'm going to end on this line. Like, I don't think I could ever do that. I know I might start with one and then um, let it fly away. But I also, I guess... Naturally, temperamentally, for me, I really like association. I'm a really associative thinker. Uh, as a teacher, I'm the same way. Like, I'll think I'm teaching one thing, and then all of a sudden, I'm teaching something else. I'm like, oh, I guess this is what I was thinking about. Um, so, I'm I'm interested in allowing myself to discover while I think and while I write.
0: And, and how shaped by language is that process? Because I kind of feel like the same way. Like, I kind of, if I write a poem, I usually start with a line. And then there's like a shape of the sound of that line. And it feels like a line that matters or something like that. And I don't know why. And then it's like the the rhythm and the, and the you know, vowel sounds and things like that will like sort of generate where it goes from there. Is it is it linguistic based or is it more imagistic based for you? Oops, sorry, that's my poodles cameo for the night.
1: <laughs> oh, great. This is going to be good. Sorry. Um, it's... Uh, oh, God. Sorry, that's okay.
0: He can talk uh, to my dog. My dog's over here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you can just get them going. Um, so the question was about language-based. I, you know, sometimes I start a poem with a word bank. Like I know I want these words to be in this poem, and I don't know where they're going to go. So so, and they'll often be um, they'll often be uh, words that I want together because of the way they sound. And then I'll figure out, and I'll let them dictate what happens in the poem. Um, so sometimes I build a soundscape ahead of time. Um, That's
0: interesting. I never heard heard that before. What would a soundscape, like you just sort of have words, like a list of words on the page? Or, yeah. Or that interesting. The, I, I've never heard that before.
1: But sometimes it's even like as silly as um, I want to have this, this, and this in a poem together and see what happens. Like there's a poem in this book called Awake that I started writing um, uh, based on using the language of playing the game of marbles little kids playing the game of marbles but then I kicked a lot of the language back out again um and I it was really driven by language and then there's another poem in here about my brother where I used an exercise by uh that Robert Pinsky talks about where you find words backwards inside other words and then you build like soundscapes from um you have a word that goes forward and then you find words going the other direction inside the words and you build a word bank and then you and there's an image that came from that that started that whole poem. Like, it just was an exercise. So I, I love sound and language and play. Um, and so I think I'm going really far afield <laughs> of your question
0: at this point. No, that's but, good. That's what we want to do. Um, yeah. And, and uh, Jimmy Pappas, you, you might know him because he's a New England poet. Um, he asks, Karen's theory of writing sounds like Richard Hugo's The Triggering Town. Was his work an influence on your writing?
1: So that's, that's a great question. Um, so, uh, the first person I worked with as a mentor was Ellen Bryant Voigt, who talked to us about, um, triggering town and the, the, the idea of the like your poem can't just be the thing that triggers it because then it's a sketch, but it needs to develop a subject. So that's one of my earliest lessons as a poet. And I think about it a lot.
0: So yes. And then just uh, one more quick question. Um, this is from Daniel Mask. You already mentioned one of them, but the, the, paint, the pictures in the background, he says, uh, family is important in your work. What do the pictures that are behind you mean to you? So we already know the one is your grandfather. Yeah. Are the other one's meaningful.
1: Yeah, they're all. Um, well, I don't know about that lady right there. It's just a picture I like, mm-hmm. but they're all my family. Um, they're all people in, in the other wall, too. They're all um, my grandparents and my great grandparents. They're um, from Scotland and Ireland. But um, I was raised with my grandparents from Ireland, just really close with them and their their stories and their um their lives were really mysterious to me, which is what drew me to try to find out more about them after they died
0: mm-hmm. and how old were they when they came here they It must have been like i'm guessing like the thirties or forties or something they
1: came, they came in um in twenty nineteen twenty 1920, nineteen twenty two and they were they were born in nineteen hundred so they were um twenty and twenty two um and Um, in Boston, they came to Boston, so they're part of the whole Boston Irish.
0: Um, Well, do you want to uh, read a couple more poems now? Yeah,
1: Yeah. sure. Um, I'll read the title poem because I think it explains a little bit, it gives me a chance to explain the title of the collection. It's called American Wake, and it starts, it's on page 35, and it starts with a little epigraph that is a song that was sung in Donegal. my family's from Donegal, Ireland, Um, a song um, and the epigraph is the land is too small to serve all and we must cross the sea. Um, and we all I mean, I think we know in many ways that the land was not too small to serve all, that there was a whole um, British uh, theft of food for, for decades Um So, but that's the, that's the song. I won't, I won't wax political right now. And the idea of the American wake is that, um, the night before the family was going to leave, I mean, the, the, the child or the young adult was going to leave, the family would hold a wake for the person who was leaving. It was just like a wake for someone who died, but then of course the person isn't dying. But the reason you would do that is because you'd never see them again. So it was a way to pass them on, um, to their next life. American wake, hold awake for the living, the leaving. Stop the clocks and turn the mirrors, tell stories, smoke and eat and drink. It was never a question of whether they'd leave, but when. Play games to pass the time, not to check that the dead are dead, but to lift a lesser God. Tell what you've heard about the new world. Later, all you will be able to tell is what you remember Let the keener loose on the night. Let the house wail. Sing the songs. Let pipes keep evil at bay. Square off with your child and dance. Let the neighbors whose baby was born with a call lend it, a charm against drowning. Give dry cakes for the passage, a box of eggs. Roast frogs, grind them to a powder, and bake into bread to safeguard against fever. Take no shortcuts to the dock. This is it. The bees will tell the other world who's gone.
0: And that was the title poem, American Wake. And yeah, that was the thing that that just came up in my head reading this book a lot, is that like what it must have been like. It never sort of... I never thought of it that way, um, but but it must have been like um, coming to the new world, must have been like going, like us going to Mars or something, you know, like even if we go to Mars, like we would have like video that we could send um, to our relatives <laughs> back, but here we have like letters that might get there in a year or something.
1: Right. So my you husband's know? like, do you ever want to go to Mars? I was like, hell no, no, <laughs> I would not, no, that's not a thing I want to do ever, and it's very, I think it's very similar to what they went through.
0: Yeah, what was it that, that made them do it? Is there a... Something they uh, were searching for, or were they sort of searching type people that that wanted an it a- adventure?
1: It was no, it was all economics yeah. for, for all of them. It was um, who you know, how many people could you have on the farm? How many people could the farm support? Um, you know, or opportunity, looking for opportunity, and the opportunity ended up looking like um, my grandfather. Uh, they never drove, so he would carry his ladders on the city bus and go paint people's houses and work on the docks. And he was a longshoreman and a rigger um and my grandmother was a domestic servant so they came here for opportunity and i think you know in many ways they found it of course because i'm here and <laughs> we did okay you know but um yeah they they were looking for um a way to make a living mm-hmm. and i think often to send money home because people were so poor
0: yeah did they have any yeah. regrets about doing it that that they expressed to you or uh
1: no. So, I mean, I can't even answer that question because my, so they, my grandmother died when I was 18 or 19 and I would always ask her about what it was like over there and she wouldn't tell me, she wouldn't talk about it. So it was, I don't know. And that's part of what sent me, you know, I spent my whole adult life not knowing, um, if we had any family over there. And then when the internet happened, I was able to find my family through the fact that I have a different last name, you know, it's an uncommon last name. So, um, now I'm, I'm very close with cousins over there and that's why I go over but they they didn't I think That's why I sought it out because I couldn't No, they wouldn't tell me
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah. do, Well, do you want to read another poem? Yeah, sure okay.
1: um, I want to read What do I want to read? Um, uh, what do I want to read? Uh, this poem is called the magpie a key The magpie is a bird that one of the things I love about going over to Ireland, and I do try to go every summer, every other summer when I'm done teaching, um, the birds are different over there. None of them are the same. The crows are different. The robins are different. Every bird is different than what we see in the States. So I love the magpie and it's a very um, sort of folkloric bird over there. The magpie, a key. One magpie means watch out. One magpie in the yard means stay in the house. Two magpies in the lane mean don't go farther than the roadside. A magpie walking with its beak open but quiet means go out but come home quickly. A magpie calling means something will happen en route. A magpie on the clothesline means watch your back. Two magpies in the hedge mean don't worry about what the sparrow that hopped inside your open door means. A magpie flying, or a tiding of magpies, means place large bets against tomorrow. A tiding of magpies spotting the sloped field means the old man up the road is lonelier right now than you are. A magpie on the fence means leave the mail in the box. Two magpies, one flapping its wings, mean yesterday was better than today. A magpie landing in the dooryard while you are looking out the window means your systems are working steady on. A magpie mentioned by a neighbor who stops by means what you said first made poor sense. A magpie pecking at the gravel means work harder on how to speak after long silences. Two magpies walking together away from the house mean draw the curtains and the door. Something you don't know is on its way. A magpie under the rhododendron means you have not hurt anyone or questions and answers have come apart. Two magpies in the old garden mean choices are long shots. A magpie, two magpies in a rough wind or rain mean making anything or minding anything is a slow race home. Two magpies on the stable roof mean the days have packed their bags. One magpie making a nest has stolen what you love
0: it was magpie the magpie a key yeah you know, from american wake um, i don't know if you were planning on reading a, the street view poem uh, oh. which kind of addresses it but um I, I was wondering if like like what triggered wanting to go back was there something that like all of a sudden made you want to like find your roots in ireland or um or, or was it just something that you always had in the back of your mind and then how did you actually go about finding your family there
1: Um, I always wanted to know, and I must, I've always been a stubborn kid and I, it didn't sit well with me that my grandmother would always tell me, wish, wish your brother when I would ask questions. And, um, I, the first time, so I found my cousin, um, Mike Mulligan on the internet by searching for the name McCadden back in, I don't know, somewhere when the internet was beginning and he and I made friends he was my third cousin once removed, and a genealogy buff. Oh, so yeah. eventually his sister invited us over to, for her wedding about uh, 10, 10 years ago. And so that was the first time I went over, it was 10 years ago. And we went over, and um, that's sort of the, the um, boots on the ground way that I was able to go back is the, the wedding invitation. And then I met my father's first cousin who lives on my grandfather's farm. So I when I go back now, I stay with him um, on my grandfather's farm where he was raised. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty stunning. It's a pretty stunning experience. The old house is ruined now, but, um, and then I have made a network of friends with my second cousins. And Mm -hmm.
0: And how how often have you been back there? How many times?
1: Um, I want to say five. Mm -hmm.
0: And do you, do you, do you plan on like staying there for a long period, like, like retiring there or anything like that? Or do you think you'll stay in the States?
1: I always think about, I was threatened to um, someday buy a little house over there, you know, a little tiny joint over there that I can go stay in. But I I do try to go for three weeks when I go, you know, two, three weeks. And one summer I brought my son, we went for five weeks. So I try to go for, I try to go for long enough that I feel bored. You know what I mean? Like in a good way, like, I don't know what I'm going to do today and it doesn't matter. I'm just here, you know, and um, I think a lot of the poems I wrote over there have that feeling of just sort of the dreamlike, I don't know what today was. Um, which is sort of what I was seeking by going over there. I just wanted to feel like it wasn't special. It was just a place I could get bored, Mm
0: -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, One of the things, um, you are a teacher, but a high school teacher, which is a little bit unusual for, uh, you know, most poets we talk to are college professors. Um, And and so, I mean, if they teach. And um, is there, like what drew you to teaching uh, high school versus college? And, And do you think there's a, Difference, like, do you? I mean, I know you haven't taught in college, so you don't, you know, know what the comparison is. But, but, what do you think of teaching high school versus teaching college? I assume it's English that you teach, right?
1: Yeah, I teach English and creative writing. So, um, I've been teaching high school English since I started working. Basically, as tw- well, um, before, it was my first career. So, when I was twenty-six, I started teaching. So, it was the first thing I did, and it was before I was working um, seriously as a poet. I didn't know. Back then, when I was in, in college, we didn't have creative writing programs. You know, you could study poetry and try to figure it out. Um, so I tried to figure it out. It took me a long time. So I didn't start publishing and um, seriously um, working in the world as a poet until I was working in private until I was about forty. So it was a kind of a late a late game change for me. But I had been writing since I was, in, you know, a kid. So um, teaching high school is. one thing I love about teaching creative writing in high school and next year I'm teaching at a technical high school so it's a whole different ball game for me um what I love is how imaginative and ready kids are to be they're just ready to be surprised and they're ready to like okay I'll do this weird language experiment with you without any kind of um and I'm not saying anything about teaching college I don't really know but um there's a naivete that's beautiful and fun with high school
0: kids. Yeah. I've done like teach in the school type programs uh, with uh, writers in the schools, I guess it's called that redhead press used to run and the kids mm-hmm. would just get so excited that it was a yeah. uh, creative writing time and like, Mr. Green is here. It was amazing to see that they loved that aspect. Do you, if you're the teacher the whole time, do they still have that? Like when you transition from reading, you know, a reading phase to a creative phase, do they get that excited about it?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think so. And I, I often, um, I'm not very good at, 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 I don't like formulaic writing, and so I always try to find a way that if I have to teach something formulaic, give it an edge that's fun for kids. So, um, kids have so much formulaic writing um, instruction. It's just—I think it's really sad. If yeah,
0: I could, for sure, do- that that whole like like three five paragraph essay thing, which just throw it out the window. I don't know what the yeah. I don't know
1: what that was. <laughs> Yeah, I hate that. So I do everything I can to try to um, show. Uh, there's so many other ways to teach writing fluency than you know, put this sentence here and then put this thing in this sentence in this way. I don't know. <sighs> well, okay. Do you want to read another poem? Uh,
0: do yeah. you know how many we've read so far? I don't know. I kind of lost track.
1: Was it like five? I don't know about that. I've just been poking around backwards in the book now. Um, uh, we have about 20 minutes left, though, I think. Is that right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, I would like to read, I guess I have maybe three poems I'd love to read. Yeah, that's and then- perfect happens after that okay um this is called planetarium and these last three i have organized are or about my brother planetarium i roam the antique shops in town to outfit our new house bringing home two flying saucers this is, i'm sorry i'm gonna start again some oh, page no, 80 i got yeah. there i got, there. Okay. got it planetarium i roam the antique shops in town to outfit our new house bringing home two flying saucer lamps A silver bracelet with a blank field for a name, and a vintage Nova Home planetarium to surprise you, thinking you would be someone who had one as a boy, and set it on the dresser in our bedroom, giddy to show you. I unpack a few boxes, poking around the house like an adventurer who doesn't believe in booby traps. My mother calls to say my brother has overdosed and is gone. Her voice is a long and terrible song that grows a crack in my chest or my bones double. Our home becomes a replica of a home, twice as big as a place I can call home, then collapses flat. I make some necessary phone calls. Friends come to sit with me in pajamas and listen. That night in bed, I stare at the ceiling and tell you every story. I walk you back with me. I expand, too. I want to know where he is, really, where. I have asked so many times now, where is gone? You get up as if to go to the bathroom or some other mundane, dark of night, glass of water chore, and I think, no, not now. But you turn on the planetarium and light up the sky so I can see where he is.
2: That was
0: planetarium from... American wake you know a lot of these books come from the chapbook um and um and I just think that's such a great way you know we publish chapbooks with the rattled chapbook prize and I love that idea of like the because there's like several themes that run through this book and it seems like you picked out one you know one of the major themes and then put it into a chapbook first and then the book is sort of like an expansion around that theme um mm-hmm. and I just think that's such a great way to publish because the chapbook is sort of like its own unit um and how did how did um how did finding a publisher for this book go? Was there any? Did the, do you think the chapbook helped publishing this book and finding a home for it, or um, was it like a hindrance because a bunch of poems were already in a chapbook? I, I always wonder how how presses feel about that.
1: Well, I mean, this is a, a separate. Um, I think that there has been there is one review that somewhat cri- not criticized, but someone cri- somewhat criticized the um, that the chapbook that this this book is maybe, um, I can't think of the words for it, but that the chapbook was really tight and one thing. And then this book becomes a sort of much bigger, um, thematic mess, if you will, you know, which makes me happy. You know, I'm happy to have a big thematic web happening. Um, so there's that, I think that that was one of the things that's been kind of a danger to me is that the chapbook was so cohesive and this is a much bigger kind of ramble into the, the theme of home. um, how I found a publisher for this for this press is that, that um uh, Josh Bodwell, who runs who's bringing Black Sparrow back, asked me for my next book he said what are you, what have you got and uh, will you send it to me?" And I said, "Yes, so I did. did Did
0: you know him ahead of time or or did he find you through the chat book or uh, yeah We've
1: known each other ahead mm-hmm. of time.
0: Yeah. And um, to talk a little bit about just what Black Sparrow Press is doing, because you mentioned that he's bringing Black Sparrow Press back. And it's such a, a press with such a great legacy. Do you What do you know about, about what's going on with Black Sparrow now?
1: Well, it's on fire, really. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, I, I Josh is a um, he's a, the consummate. Um, what's the word I want to even say about Josh? He's probably even watching. Hi, Josh. Um He's just the a, a consummate professional in publishing, and he's, he's got so much great energy and momentum that um, he's just bringing it back. And I know that Josh is a great collector of Black Sparrow books. He always was, and is just um, incredibly invested in the identity of the press.
0: Yeah, well, it's great to see, because it's, it's a wonderful book and really well put together, too. Um, before we move on to something new, uh, Richard Westheimer asked about this last poem, Planetarium. Um, he says, uh, did you know the planetarium poem was going to include your brother's death when you started writing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one of those, so, but quite often I don't, um, what do I want to say? I often don't write narrative poems. It's not something I'm, I, I, there's always a lot of narrative in my work, but this one is exactly, you know, I think I wrote it the next day. Um, and it, it, it was no, not the next day. It was a little bit later than that, but, um, no, I knew, I knew that it was going to be in there. Yeah.
0: Uh, Well, do you want to read the next of the
1: poems? Yeah. This is called losing. It's on page 82. My brother is lost. I can't find my brother. I say it over again when I lost my brother a back road I knew once and now can't find, a specific wave on John's pond, the last one we saw there, the blue lipped sleep of overdose. He goes from one office to the next and no one will return my calls. One day he was somewhere, I know he must have been, the difference in weight between alive and dead. Do the old experiment again, weigh the escaped soul. Let it have gone somewhere. Let it have packed one bag. Is my brother any amount of atoms at all, fending for themselves? If I keep saying I have lost my brother, is there a corollary? Do I make wayfinding? A compass, a geocache, a crashed plane on his island, his black box full of laughter? Every next syllable said by everyone is my brother. Silent mouths, these are where dead brothers live. I keep a jar of nails like a bouquet of denial. Life ends with us finding leaves underfoot. Fend for ourselves, I'm saying. There is music everywhere. There must be a bit of his breath left. Put the needle in the track again. My brother somewhere knows the tune.
0: That was Losing from American Week by Karen McCadden. I want to talk a little bit about just your your philosophy for for what poetry is. I was looking at an interview you did and you mentioned um that you what how did you phrase it? You said that poets talk to themselves. Um <laughs> and and so so what do you think that is cuz there is like a kind of intimacy that we're sort of after when, as readers of poetry. That's I think that's really the thing that we are. It's almost like the voice in your head is speaking to the voice in my head. And so we're sort of communicating on that level. Um, so, so how do you think, like, what do you think the poet's job is? And how do you, and, and how does it talking to yourself play into that?
1: Um, well, I mean, I think, I think one of the jobs of the poet is to write what I would call secular prayers. You know, we are trying to name and understand the world and know the world and wonder about the world. And and poets are working at um, trying to create. They, you know, I was raised as a, a kid in church, in, in the Catholic church. It was the first place I had ever seen formal language. And I feel like we are trying to formalize questions of who we are and where we come from and what it's all for. So that's sort of what I think the job of the poet is. But the, the job of the poet is to talk to themselves because we only write We write alone, you know, we sit in our screen room and we look at a tree and we, you know, look at a wall, we do whatever we do, but we're usually alone. Um, And we talk to ourselves for other people, I think, you know, we try to ask these questions and formulate knots of understanding that other people can be like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, Not a very eloquent way of putting that. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I mean, that moment, I think, is what we're after. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, and what is your process like? Like, how do you get into that space where you're you're sort of engaging with yourself on that level? Do you write every day? Do you have a routine, or um, is it just when you can find time? And or do you write mostly in the summer, like some teachers do?
1: You mean like when there's not a pandemic? Is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's...
0: I guess now it doesn't really matter, huh?
1: <laughs> you're like, I don't know. Um, this hasn't been a great year for me for writing. I was mostly doing editorial work anyway for for the book, but um. Uh, you know, my process is I wait to be taken. I try to write all the time, I try to always in in my best life when I'm not in the pandemic year, I always have a poem that's coming and then I'll try to I'll try to forget it. I'll like ah, I'll let that go. And then whatever kind of persists in in, in staying in my mind, um, I'll start to work with um, and I'll try to get a sense of like what, what I want it to feel like what I want it to be shaped like is there a project I have like do I want to try a certain kind of poem Um, but it's often play-based for me and um, it sounds frivolous I don't mean it in a frivolous way Um, but just sort of keeping open to discovery what's going to come
0: yeah, I think I think play is really central to what we're all doing. We're, we're playing with language and that's where discovery comes from. I think play is the most important aspect and why, like you mentioned, how open that your students are being in, in high school and even younger. I mean, with the Rattle Young Poets anthology, it's the kids that are like in elementary school or like early middle school before they get really self-conscious who come up with the most interesting, like different ways to look at the world um, so play is like, really, I think almost it's like, uh, poets have to find a way to get back to play. I think, you know, where, where language is fun again. Um, do you, do you ever feel like, um, you know, once you publish books and win awards and things, does poetry ever start to feel a little too serious or something like that? Like the publication aspect, does that ever sort of creep into your head, um, that, that someone's going to be reading this and, and it's, it's more than it used to be?
1: No, not really. Like I, I, um, I guess like, I don't mean to sound glib, but I, I feel like as long, I guess I'm always living for the, um, the next exciting thing that's going to happen in my mind that I want to pursue. Um, like right now, I don't know what my third book's going to be. That feels so exciting. Like, I I don't know, you know, I have this, I have an idea about what it might feel like. There's that thing again, like, well, it might feel like this. I don't know. But I, I love the precision of the practice of craft of writing mixed with the, I don't know. That's... That's the most exciting thing to me, and now I forget your question.
0: I was <laughs> <laughs> just asking if the if the publication aspect ever interferes with the creativity. I guess because you're, you know, you're gonna have readers. You know, I think when for me when you fir- when I first started out enjoying poetry, it was just a fun thing to do, and then when and then and I never really thought of anybody reading it, and then um, and then once people, I was like, oh, people are gonna be reading this if I publish it. I don't know. There's some kind of like block that sort of it's hard to keep from developing at that point it's it's not being play as much which is why your play question brought that up, up that thought but uh, is that ever that's never a problem though
1: well i mean i think it is a problem but I, i'm just wondering if maybe this is a piece of it like i have a really robust writing group I, the pandemic again it hasn't been really big for me this past year but most of the time I work regularly with a group of writers I really respect. And whether it's local friends who, you know, my local group, which is who who I'm talking about, um, or friends from afar where I can say, hey, what do you think of this? Like I have a lot of sort of spaces to audition work and get feedback. Um, So I I have a lot of pre-readers, which helps me not care. Yeah. You know, like I figure if these people I respect like this or tell me it's crap, then I know what's next and then, um, if an editor doesn't like it, then it's, it's sort of okay. Like,
0: yeah, That's just the editor's fault for right. not liking it. Exactly. My
1: yeah. buddy likes it. So whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, um, poets kind of yeah, people hate this question, but everybody wants to know all the time. Um, what is, uh, who are you like, who do you love reading the most? And, and what's the last book that you loved? I know, I know, but everybody wants, wants suggestions and every, they always ask. So what, uh, what books do you recommend right now?
1: Um, I, I'm gonna get the title wrong, but I'm super excited by Charlie Clark's first book. Um, like the, it's called the something employee of the Museum of Ruin. What is the name of that book? I it's on my bedside table. Um, that's my most recent favorite book. Um yeah, they, you gonna, The newest I,
0: employee of the Museum of Ruin. You had it
1: perfect, yeah. Just a brilliant book. That's my that's my new favorite book.
0: Um, and, and you mentioned um, that you don't really know what your next book is going to be about, but do you have like an idea? Like, do you feel like you've moved on from this topic um, yeah. or do you have do you have something new? Uh, what is there a new sort of thing that's that's you know itching at you? And what, what is it kind of? Can you articulate it yet?
1: Yeah, I can I can say quite a bit about it, actually. I would like to um, I would like to write some poems that are a little less personal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're tiring, you know, it's, it's, it, I feel like this book is very much an, an autobiography for me. It's very much like a memoir, don't like a memoir, not an autobiography, but like a memoir in verse, Um, and it's heavy and it's, it's a lot. Um, and it's got, you know, divorce and childhood family, nuclear family loss, new family. It's just got a lot of personal stuff in it. And so I have this like working title for the next book. That's probably not the real title. It's called curio, like the idea of a curio cabinet that I would write a bunch of poems that are much more imaginative and fun and maybe philosophical and um, outward looking mm-hmm. rather than inward looking. Uh, get a series of love poems to Evil Knievel that mm-hmm. I love. Um, just maybe some more f- to have more fun. Um, so that's that's my. But then, of course, probably I won't. But that's <laughs> that's what I'm
0: hoping. <laughs> yeah. Well, reading your your poems, it, it feels like. It, it just reminds me so much that what poets are doing is sort of myth making. Like we're sort of making, and and you're making myths out of your life and your personal experience here in this book, and then making myths out of other things um, is really important and interesting too. So I'm looking forward to seeing whatever uh, whatever you write next. Do you want Do you want to finish up with a last poem or or two if they're if they're shorter? I'll
1: just I'll just read one. Sure. Um, sure. So this is a poem that's uh, it's called "In Event of Moon Disaster." And it's from um, the epigraph, it's from Nixon's alternative speech in case of a failed moon landing, 1969. And so this poem is built um, only of words from the alternative speech in case the moon landing failed. It's on page 83. Um, And so I uh, sort of sculpted this out of words. It's not an erasure, the words don't come in order, but it's just built of only those words. In event of moon disaster. The mother should telephone the constellations to find her son. This is a burial at Moon Sea. Others to be will follow into the unknown, and whoever looks up at the moon prior to prayer will remain foremost in a state of undermending. There is no recovery for their hope. In ancient times, our heroes looked at stars and saw our hearts stirred in. Families should adopt the same procedure. Nights to come, the brother in the corner of another world will send for friends. They will stay on the moon to rest in peace.
0: Yeah, That was such an interesting poem. I, I, I think I'd heard that there was a, a, a speech like that, but, but I never read it or, 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 or thought much beautiful. about it. Yeah,
1: It's a beautiful speech.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it—I don't know—just the thought of it, and then turning that into a poem was really cool. Um, but Karen, thanks so much for being a guest today. It was just a pleasure talking to you, and and the uh, the comments are just full. People didn't ask many questions because everyone was just saying beautiful, amazing. These poems are just incredible, um, and so um, we really appreciate you know talking to you and uh, and getting to share uh, a night with your book, which was just a wonderful book. I really enjoyed reading it too. Hope everybody picks up a copy.
1: Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much for having me and for your fabulous questions. It's always fun to talk to you. Yeah. My pleasure. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye.
0: So that was Karen McCadden uh, with her new book um, that just came out from Black Sparrow Press. This is uh, American Wake, and uh, you can find the details here at the bottom. and uh, you can pick up more of Karen McKinnon's work at com. It's spelled like that, K-E-R-R-I-N-M-C-C-A-D-D-E-N, com. So pick up a copy of her book, um, just a wonderful one, American Wake, and um, her other books are great, too. So um, just a wonderful poet, and it sort of has been from the start. That, that early poems that she was publishing were really amazing, too. Um, now, uh, we're going to move on to The Open Lines in just a minute. We have a poem of people lined up already, um, so let me put up the uh, numbers and tell you how to do it if you'd like to participate. Um, let me get rid of that first. So uh, how you do it, if you'd like to share a poem, it can be anything. We have a prompt, and the prompt was to use the uh, random button on Wikipedia to uh, write a poem. So write a poem based on the something from the random button on Wikipedia, a random article. Uh, if you have one of those, you can share it, but you can share anything you'd like. Um, you can share uh, just whatever. And uh, if you published something recently, if you have a a news poem that we didn't get to at uh, Poets Respond Live on uh, Sunday, you can share that as well. The uh, number, our first thing, though, is email it to openmic at rattle.com. That's openmic at rattle.com. And then pick one or the other. There's either video or phone. Um, If you'd like to video, it's over Skype the Skype app, which is free. Just type in Rattle Poetry into the search bar. I'll come right up. That's Rattle Poetry, all one word. Just wave and say hi. You like to read a poem, and that will put me you on my uh, list here. The phone number, though, if you'd like to call in by phone, is 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. Just let it ring a few times, hang up, and I'll call you back when it's your turn. That's how you get in line. And uh, But do don't forget to uh, send your poem to openmicatrattle.com first. Now, uh, next week's guest on the Rattlecast, we're switching to our new format starting uh, Sunday. And uh, here is how it's going to work. This is an early show. There's going to be sort of two, two versions. Most shows are going to be at the same time. Uh, but the early show is going to be at, um, at uh, 12 p.m. Eastern time. But then Poetry Spawn Live is going to start a half hour ahead of time. So we're going to do a half an hour of Poetry Spawn Live. We will talk to the uh, poet that we published, hopefully, or two. Then we'll do a couple open lines calls. Then we'll switch over to the guest for that week um, and then uh, talk to them for an hour. And then we'll open the lines up completely after that. So it's Poetry Spawn Live, hour of guest, open lines after that. Um, usually it's going to be at the regular you know, Tuesday time. It's going to be at... Um, uh, six or nine PM Eastern time, six AM Pacific. But actually, poetry Spun starting at five thirty. It's like a pre-show. So uh, five thirty Pacific, eight thirty Eastern. If you can follow all that, you will. I know you'll figure it out. But that's how we're going to do it. And then I'm going to condense the show down a little bit for the podcast version and uh, make it just make sure it's under two hours. Um, and I'll filter out based on you know best audio quality and, and mixing the poems up and things like that. So I'll keep it under a two-hour podcast. Make it a little better listening experience if the, some of the, the poem connections aren't very good, um, you know, the technical end of it. And uh, so it'll make it a little bit better podcast, it'll get Poetry respond on the podcast, and I think that'll be even cooler than it already is, and it's already amazing, so uh, that'll be a lot of fun. But the first episode's that early one, because uh, the guest, Supriya Kar Daliwal is uh, in India, and so uh, she can't do the later time, so people, you know, people on the eastern side of the world will be uh this time Um, anyway we will come back in just a moment with open lines i'm going to stand up and stretch and get that all prepared and we'll be right back looking forward to uh, talking to you again and seeing your poems in a minute and i'm back thanks for letting me uh, get these poems organized and stand up a little bit um always helps a lot and they can uh, stand up and stretch out too because this is going to be a fun show of open lines. Now, as I mentioned, the prompt for this week was uh, use the random article option on Wikipedia. Go to wikipedia.com and click the random article link on the left-hand side of the page and write a poem based on your results. Feel free to click uh, a few times to find one that speaks to you. So I went to the random button. Actually, let me... um. I'll pull this up so you can see the pictures, too. It was called... Oh, yeah, that's right. So um, when it came up for me, what came up was the Liberty Green Historic District. So uh, Liberty Green. We don't have to look it up for for everybody, but if you want to, we can totally look it up. Let's see. So this is what came up for me. And um, you can see the... That's the Liberty Green Historic District in uh, Clinton, Connecticut. And then they have this uh, interesting thing, which is a time capsule. And uh, so I learned all about the history. That Just Wikipedia is so fascinating. I mean, I know more about this tiny little square in, uh, in Clinton, Connecticut, than I know about uh, the, the downtown in my town that I live in right now. There, I mean, I know the whole history of this place. And uh, this is the poem I wrote just using the facts from uh, the Wikipedia page. So now I'm an expert in the Liberty Green Historic District in Clinton, Connecticut. And uh, here's the poem. Liberty Green Historic District, Clinton, Connecticut. The green is empty. The black branches ringing the road are empty. The oldest white oak is finally empty of its dangerous limbs. The blue blur of a boy on his bike is full of his own wind, racing a shadow over the empty walk. Even the walkway is empty of chalk. A small cannon sleeps on its stone pedestal, empty since the War of 1812. Still, it guards its trash can, empty of trash. Soon, the boy and the bike will cross over Liberty Street. And only the time capsule will be full of God knows what the third grade class of 1976 buried there, a present to the present from the past, always six feet under the grass. That is my little poem for Liberty Green Historic District, a tiny little triangular-shaped grassy lawn that was recently trimmed because the largest oak uh, which was planted in 1847 was um, trimmed for the first time. So uh, that was my poem, and now Megan came up with this. She she has a picture here. This is her random Wikipedia page. It was the artist Rachel Feinstein, and uh, Megan says, I had never heard of her despite her renown, but when I looked into her art, I became an instant fan. My poem is about her work The Shack Above. So this is The Shack, and if you're listening after the fact, of course, you can go to... Uh, youtube or facebook or whatever and see this picture but this is a a sculpture of like rainbow stairs going into a mirror castle this is a fascinating sculpture here and uh, this is megan's poem which i haven't even looked at yet the princess dreams the door is a mirror when the forest spits her out like a divine thorn she always lands at the mouth of a shack which is also a palace Two sides of the same coin, like her golden hair shining against the filth of her rags. The figure that greets her is a witch, no, a queen. It halts or beckons as she turns side to side on her silk-spiked pillow. The steps of the entrance are crooked candy, and through, and though all the creatures moan at at her to stop, she has to climb them. A princess must follow the plot's hooked finger. Whether it drips with gold or swallows her whole, when the door is a mirror, there's only one place to go, in, and that is Megan's uh, ekphrastic poem based on a random Wikipedia page. The artist Rachel Feinstein in this piece, the shack, um, such a fascinating sculpture there. Now let's see what you have for uh, the uh, open lines. Um, God, I don't even know where to start. The whole big list. Let's see. Oh, Caitlin was the. Caitlin was the first one. And she has to leave soon. So let's get to Caitlin first. Caitlin Bucksbaum. Hello, Caitlin. How
3: are you doing? I forgot to mute you, and so that was confusing.
0: No problem. Okay. Yeah, so how you been lately? Like? You haven't been on in a little bit.
3: Yeah, Um. I don't know. Stuff's been going on, I guess. Um, and here I am. <laughs> it was a good prompt. Um, I got... A new. Sorry, this is totally unrelated. I got a new mic for recording music, but I haven't figured out a good way to make it work with the headset for just talking. So, oh, really?
0: well, you sound gonna... good, whatever you're on. It's it's good.
3: Well, I'm on the normal thing. It's okay. just my mic was in the frame there. I had to push it over there. Anyway, um, yeah. So I clicked the random button. I don't know if I've ever actually done that before. Yeah, I didn't um, know they had
0: one until until Megan had this prompt. So that was it. Was fun. a good one. I'm gonna. I might just use that instead of Facebook, which I hate. So. <laughs> If I'm well, bored, I will click the random button now.
3: Yeah, no kidding. Um, so I didn't actually pick the first one. I like to try and and use the first one, but this time I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep clicking it. And so I had like 12 that I saved and said, okay, I'll just pick whichever one inspires me the soonest. Um, and so I ended up with this one um, on malacology, which is the study of mollusks.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
3: And the poem I wrote is very metaphorical. I, I basically only took the title um, to inspire this, but you know, sometimes that's how it goes. So anyway, okay, that's I'll what I got. It. So
0: go ahead whenever you're ready.
3: Okay. Malacology. There is a slowness to every movement made in the wake of heartbreak a spiraling ache that dulls the senses into believing the body is nothing more than a shellless mantle a soft slick sack of sadness ripe for extermination but study the self long enough and survival appears within reach progress isn't pretty but the turns of tenderness carve a path
0: excellent good choice for a for a poem Malacology by Caitlin um, Thank um yeah thanks for joining and sharing a poem Caitlin
3: mm-hmm. yep have a good night you too
0: bye yeah I was gonna say uh, I uh <laughs> me and Megan sort of had a a, a dare maybe that uh I said that, that you should do it without even you know just doing writing a poem about the first one that you come across and um she said I bet you you can't do that and uh I did not it was the second one. The first one I came across was a one-sentence Wikipedia article for an an ant, like some common ant. It was like you know, Maya Laca or something, and it was a common ant in uh, Europe. And I just I could there was no information on the page. Then <laughs> the second one was uh, the one for me. So um, yeah, that was part of the problem. You can do as many as you want until you find a good one. And there are a lot of um, a lot of uh, very slender Wikipedia articles too. Okay, so let's go next to. Um, let's go instead next to uh, Nate Jacob. <laughs> Here he comes.
3: Hey, Tim. Actually, this is Nate Jacob.
0: Yeah, Nate Jacob. How you doing? Oh, did I say Jacobs? I'm sorry. No, they're <laughs> <You're> fine. <laughs> um, oh, I hear myself in the background, so mute, mute that. Okay. Um so what do you have for us? I don't know if you want to come in on video or not. You're just in audio, which is fine too if you if you didn't I want to come in. I do I'm here. It's a camera button between a uh, hang up and mute.
4: Okay, am I on?
0: You are not on yet. Wait a minute, <laughs> let me see. Not what? What did I just do? Are you there? Ah, there you are. Okay. So we figured whatever happened, it was that was weird. That's never happened before. You like it it said that you were calling me. I don't understand that, but I answered, and then your video appeared, so. <laughs> oh, no, but now we don't have audio. I'm going to hang up and call you back, because uh, something got messed up with it. Yeah, it was like a, a video call, or an audio only, and then it switched to video, like, separately. Let's try it again. Oh, we still got no sound. I'm just going to have to, um, unless you want to call in by phone. Do you want to call in by phone? I don't know. I think I'm going to have to read the poem for him. Sorry, Nate. Um, but, uh. Yeah, I think I'll just have to read it. It wasn't working. I don't know. Uh, Rowing Across the Atlantic is the uh, the poem that Nate um, has for us. And here it is. I'll uh, put it up on this here screen. Okay. Rowing Across the Atlantic. And this is uh, Nate Jacobs' poem. Um, is there a link? Uh, he didn't include a link to uh, what the article was, but, but someone wrote across the Atlantic, so let's find out about it. Uh, Rowing Across the Atlantic. Okay, Rowing Across the Atlantic. I have only just landed, sun-dried, sea-legged, and salt-crusted stranger, on the first rocky jut I have seen, having rowed clear across the Atlantic, when I had intended only to stay afloat and at sea for the remainder of my days. This is my beginning in spite of its name, Le bout de la Française, The End, According to the Bobbing Fisherman, who finally reeled me ashore. When at last my oars had splashed away, fallen from my frozen grip hands, after so many weeks and months, heaving and hoeing in search of you, a slow but ever-widening wake streaming out behind me into sunsets and rises from the horizon to horizon, marking the limits of my hope. You had to let go of the oars much earlier, than let go of the side of the boat, because sinking with the Titanic, had long been a dream of yours, something you told me furtively, only once the icebergs came into view. So dressed in our finest, we set out for the ship on which you would never be a passenger. Now I try to explain how I arrived in a dinghy, dressed in the rags of a funeral director, while you will forever explain to the angels why your name does not appear on the manifest. And that was uh, Nate Jacob with... uh, a poem rowing across the Atlantic, which you can imagine what the Wikipedia article was for that. Excellent poem, and it was fun to read. Um, and sorry we couldn't get you reading it yourself, but uh, happy to, to be able to read it for you. Thanks for sharing that. Now, um, let's see. Next up, we will go to... Um, let's try... Let's do Brent Stauffer next. Hey, Brent, how are you doing this evening?
5: Oh, I'm doing great. How are you, Tim?
0: I'm doing excellent. Uh, what do you have? What What was your Wikipedia article?
5: Well, it was a great prompt, and I uh, this was about my fourth or fifth uh, random random article. I two of them were about uh, run of the mill uh, moth family creatures. Yeah, I that can't had, believe they like had I... just a single line, and it was like the Latin name, and that was it, pretty much.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised Uh, they have that many pages like that. um,
5: Yeah, they they call them stubs. There's a thing at the bottom that Mm. says, this article is a stub. If you would like to expand on it, you know. Oh, that makes sense. I didn't notice that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. But no, I landed on um, the term parallax, which uh, is a pretty big... Topic, mm-hmm. and within the bigness of the topic was a small one that I was familiar with called parallax error, which is um, in photography. It's when in certain cameras, if you look through the viewfinder, you're not seeing what the camera lens sees.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: It's a the because of the angle, the line of sight is slightly different. Yeah, and yeah. so this has resulted in many headless photographs <laughs> over the years. And um, so,
0: it's interesting this comes the- up though because uh, that's very relevant because that's what all the uh, UFO videos that are all over the place—it's uh, oh, parallax right. making like a balloon look like it's flying.
5: <laughs> oh, I, I can, you know? I, I, I bet the, the
0: jets in- flying past a, a duck or something. And then um, <laughs> and it looks like it's flying at 1,000 miles an hour. It's just that the jet's flying past the duck and the scenery's flying by behind. Yeah, <laughs>
5: okay. That, so that, that is very
0: relevant, though, though. Very relevant I, for this I, week.
5: I, I bet that as an Art Bell fan, you're excited about the UFO stuff coming
0: out. I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I think it's all nonsense, actually. I mean, as an, okay. art, as an art Bell fan, I've like, ex- yeah. explored these kind of topics. I'm very interested in like, weird topics. But that means yeah. I'm also like, interested in debunking. And uh, sure. these are just all so easily debunked. Like, they wouldn't even be good guests on Art Bell. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you know? I mean, like, go back to that, uh, what was that one where some guy was, like, flying into Area 51 um, in a plane. He was, like, calling from a plane, and uh, they were shooting at him, supposedly. There was oh be some gosh. great stuff on the old Art Bell. Uh, the CNN or wherever you're watching the UFOs now can't, can't, can't do justice. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway, big tangent, well, though. So okay. this is Parallax error. Yeah,
5: Okay, and at uh, the um, uh, wh- what do you call the little quotes at the beginning of a poem? An um,
0: epigram or epigraph? Yeah, I don't know yeah. the difference either. Actually,
5: <laughs> I, I I was I wanted to say epitaph. I knew that wasn't right, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> so uh, this one is from a book by Zizek um, called uh, "The Parallax View," which takes a really broad philosophical look at at the subject. Anyway, it starts like that. Parallax error. Sure, the picture is in my eye, but I am also in the picture. Slide Zizek. Years ago, according to the cold camera lens, you were headless as a horseman, dancing a jig on the lip of the Grand Canyon, pale, thin arms akimbo. As a mortal witness, though, I can report seeing your red lips parted wide with a laugh and your hair blossoming behind your head like black fireworks.
0: Oh, that's great! I love that poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Brent.
5: Yeah, thanks a lot, Tim. Great, great prompt, great show. Um, I like the way the first two poems had the word "wake" in them. That was neat.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true too, huh? So, Strange. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, well, All right, care. thanks a lot. Yep, have a All good right.
5: night. You too.
0: That was Brent Stoffer with Parallax Error, and uh, let's go next to. Um, Let's see. Next, we go to oh, we have a new um, Joseph Sacchini. Uh, uh, I think maybe you'd say we'll, we'll call up Joseph next, just so he's a little prepared, since he's a first-time caller. And um, let's see, they have an unknown person. Usually, that is, um, let's see, yeah, yeah. Usually, it's Carlton Johnson. Um, he he asked that I read for him, and uh, this is the Wikipedia page that Carlton Johnson had. It's um. Posidonius Crater, interesting. So uh, let me put that up on screen. Let's see you later, Brent. Um, this is Posidonius Crater. It is a lunar impact crater that is located on the northern northeastern edge of Mare um, Seren, uh, Serenitatis, n- n- I guess you'd say, to the south of Lacus Somniorum. <laughs> Just some two places on the moon I never heard of. Uh, it was named after ancient, the ancient Greek philosopher and geographer uh, Posidonius of Epimia. The crater Chikornak is attached to the southeast rim, and to the north is Dani- Danielle. Um, and there's a picture here. I'll just put it on the screen in the middle. That is the crater in question. Um, very interesting. Well, let's see what Carlton Johnson came up with uh, for, for this poem. Um, Here it goes. Oh, he also wrote, The title is both The Name of a Crater on the Moon, A Greek Philosopher-Scientist Sounds like the God of the Sea, but with two additional syllables, is what he said. And um, here we go. This is Carlton Johnson's poem, Posidonius. Posidonius Crater. Anagram by Carlton Johnson. Posidonius rises before me on a limb of the moon, one of many craters named dead famous men. Igneous rocks... And flows created at its early life, fire words of turmoil and ashen strife. Do you think there is not a time to wander lust on top of the moonbeams and stardust? Now you awaken to the blinding ignoble rocks. Now redefining underneath the falling arc of moonglow. Silence awaits in this chasm filled with lunar snow. That's got rhyming couplets there, Carlton. That an anagram poem. Um. Interesting. Let's see. Okay. <clears throat> Next, we will go to um. Ah, Julian Matthews is coming in too. So we're gonna do um. We will do Joseph uh, Ciccini, and then we'll do Julian Matthews. And then I saw Joseph's poem here. Here it is. Or J D. How you doing, Tim? Hey, J.D., how you doing? One second, I can't hear you yet. Oh, no? Um, can you hear me now? Uh-oh. Can you hear me now? Let's see. Well, maybe we'll swing back to J.D. Um, after we do Julian Matthews. I'm not sure what was happening there. It's I don't know the last couple of weeks the uh, technology hasn't been up to par as, as much as it usually is. Oh, he's got a poets respond poem for us. Okay, we'll circle back around to Julian Matthews. um. um okay, let's swing ahead instead to uh, let's do Vicky Miko. Hey, Vicky, how you doing? I'm doing doing good. It's great to hear hear Uh, from you. Yeah. So, uh, what do you want to share tonight? Um.
6: Well, these prop these uh, this uh, last prompt of the Wikipedia um, random poem these these have been wonderful. But uh, I'm going to do my response to a famous poem Uh that was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. If that's okay. Yeah, Um, no problem. What, What poem did you pick? The poem is Ego Tripping, There May Be a Reason Why by Nikki Giovanni. Mm-hmm. And she's a, a recognized activist and known as one of today's uh, leading black poets.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and a great reader, like a great uh, presence, and, you know, as she delivers too. She's she's terrific. Yeah,
2: she is.
6: She's written several children's books, too. So that's why it's kind of. Uh, caught my attention, and this this particular poem, Ego Tripping, is included in one of her children's books named Ego Tripping and Other Poems for Young People.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that.
6: So here's, here's, uh, here's my response poem. It's called Proof of Dreams. No, I wasn't born in the Congo. My home is a golden valley, but I sprang from Congo rain. Yes, I am an elder soul. Yes, I heard your echo. I answered you with goldenrod waves, weaved in sweet grass shaken down in fallow fields. Yes, I am a genius. I am the teacher of reason and sorcery, winding the world's clock to unbegun. I am a sister to hanging cloud. She became all the dreams before me. The weights of brass weighed me down. The mercury rose. In Old Woman's Bay, the face was always mine. My middle name is Laurentia. My brother is Ontario. My other brother is Centaur of the North. I invented North to face the headland South. Planted coreopsis in one row, watched them spread over every hill, hill and valley. It was a yellow valley. I shook all the petals and made the sun. I invented east and west. When I talk to earth, it answers in clarion code. Yes, I have God in my eyes, though I don't believe in God. No, I never had a daughter, but I am a beautiful woman. No, I never had a son, but I am a beautiful woman. Yes, I have tears I can't write about. When they died, my tears didn't we made the rain. Yes, I know what dreams are. Dreams are reason. I discovered reason. Yes, you invented clarions. Clarions are the source of magic. Yes, you invented magic. Magic is the proof of dreams. I
0: invented dreams. Oh, that was beautiful. I love that, Vicki. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, oh, thanks. And, and, and great reading of it, too. It's, I think it's the first time I've heard you read a longer poem. It's always been uh, haiku or uh, or haiku oh. <laughs> things like that. And it's just Thank a great, you. great <laughs> pacing and, and beautiful lines in that poem. That was wonderful.
6: Thank you so much. Yeah, well, have it's a good night, great night. night. Yeah, you too. You Bye. too, thanks.
0: Bye-bye. Okay, now we'll try, let's see. <clears throat> so Julian Matthews and Joseph Sacchini uh, are still... It says they're active. Let me try Try to run through them again really quick and see if either we can answer. We're going for Julian Matthews first, I think. Julian, hey. Hi. Good to see you. Thanks so much for joining in this first time.
4: Yeah.
0: Uh, so what do you have to share for us today?
4: Um, uh, it's a poet's response. Article was based on uh, the Darwin's Arch in Galapagos that was collapsed.
0: Yeah, that was sad to hear that because that's um, it, one of the most iconic sort of natural features in the world. Let me put I'll put up on screen. You, you include the link. Thanks for that. So this is Darwin's Arch off the Galapagos that that uh, that shelf there between the two pillars collapsed over the last week. I guess. Um, did, had you um known about this before? Are you familiar with it? I, I wasn't actually, but it was. Um, Sad to no, hear that it. It's gone now. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so that's what you wrote about. Um, this was Darwin's Arch. Um, I have it up on screen. Uh, go ahead whenever you're ready. And you have to uh, read your own version, though, I should warn you.
4: Okay. Darwin's Arch. Darwin's Arch in the Galapagos has now collapsed. Was it just a natural erosion, or has the climate crisis claimed another victim? Our hands were once bridges. Hands that stretch from the rugged interior of Borneo to the manicured gardens of the downhouse in Kent. Had Wallace not written to Darwin, their clever exchanges would not have led to the discovery of natural selection, the origin of species, and how we came to be, forever linking humanity to nature. Our hands are now cleavers, riddled with lines of our own destruction. Keyboard warriors and drive-by common assassins. We trade barbs and burns like grenades. Troll, shoot, reload with spite. Spoken word is spit, metaphors are the bomb. We are hair-triggered for calling out. Knee-jerk reactions over thoughtful discourse. Content over context, spouting tags and labels in towers or babels. Narcissists are influencers. Clockwatchers are now TikTokers. Going viral is really a disease. They're hooked on infectious likes and fevered scrolling. And emojis are just poles for the polarizing. It's all in or fallout boy, the either-or binary, the descent of man corollary. Opposable times once evolved to grasp tools, now they swipe right or swipe left as fuel, for armchair outrages and victimhood stages. If a click is all you need to feel empowered, then a dick or a clit that is serviceable is all one needs to be laser-sighted as targetable. The online crime isn't changing. It's in crisis. And yes, our house is burning. We are turning back in time, tweet by nasty tweet, letting the flame spread from room to chat room until all that's left are bashes of ashes and roasts for the compost file. The flamethrowers are devolving into carbon copies of our sapient cannibalistic murderous origins. After the crime scene is yellow taped, do not cross. Their fingers should be dusted for hashtags. Fighting fire with fire is futile. Gunshot residue is never neutral. The selfish gene really is selfish, but even the blind watchmaker knows when to call it, it quits and walk away. Watch this space. Another YouTuber has melt- has a meltdown over a screen cap takedown. If the survival of the fittest in all, it's full gl- It's the survival of the fittest in all its full glory, as another arch enemy breaks off and sinks beneath the way.
0: Excellent poem. Uh, A surprising turn, and I could not agree more. That was Darwin's Arch uh, by Julian Matthews. Thanks so much for sharing that, Julian. Where are you calling from? I forgot to ask. I'm from Malaysia. Ah, well, so glad you could join us. Uh, Just wonderful poem and a great great turn there into, um, I love that line, our hands are now cleavers riddled with the lines of our own destruction. It's just so true. Um, and try to make a nice, you know, happy space for online, and, and hope we are here with the Rattlecast. But thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have, uh, have you on.
4: Thank you, Tim.
0: Yep, have a good night. Hope to see you again soon. You too. Uh, Julian Matthews with uh, Darwin's Arch. And let me show you that I, I was looking earlier this week, I think maybe when, when he and some other people submitted the poem, um, if there uh, there's a picture of it actually collapsed, and there wasn't at the time, but I just noticed as I was scrolling by that this um, this image, this is this is how it was. But down here, there's a tweet with an actual picture of the uh, arches gone. And so there, that's what's left of it. It just collapsed. So uh, that was Darwin's Arches by uh, Julian Matthews. Oh, and you can uh, find Julian at... Uh, I guess it's got the hashtag Julian's Poems. J-U-L-I-A-N-S Poems. I think you can find him. I think I've seen him on Twitter. Twitter, maybe or um, or maybe YouTube I see him somewhere um, so just go to Julian's poems and you'll know, find some of his poems okay let's try to circle back uh, to see if we can catch up with uh, Joseph Cicchini for the first time and uh, see if Joseph can uh, answer okay well Joseph's still not picking oh. Going, Tim? oh I think I just hung up on him now are you there? Tim? Oh, oh, you're still here. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, good. You, uh, you answered right as I was like giving up and hang up. So uh, glad, glad to have you on. Um, I don't know if you Thank want you to come in much. on video. Um, you would have to click the camera button if you want to, but you don't have okay. to. Um,
7: okay. Is that, is that good?
0: Yeah, we're good. So we see you and hear you. Um, and where are you calling from? I'm calling from uh, Western Pennsylvania. Ah, cool. Well, I'm so glad you could join in. I love first-time callers. It's always really fun to uh, get new people on. Uh, so what do you have to share with us this week?
7: Okay, today uh, today I am sharing – it's not a prompt poem, uh, but I am sharing a uh, – it's probably my maybe my, 10th or 12th poem. I just started writing about like less than a year ago. This one I wrote – I was watching a friend watch baseball because I don't really watch baseball myself. But mm-hmm. uh, I was just in awe of um, these uh, – they call them ball girls, but they're actually women. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's just like, be real here. They're all over 18, and I'm fairly certain – Uh, They call them ball girls, so that's what I'm going to go with, but I was just in admiration of them, and at the same time, I, I just had a feeling there's a poem in here somewhere, but I didn't know what it was. When I started writing it, all of a sudden, something just hit me. I had this really strong, empathetic response. Long story short, this is basically me trying to call out something that I was in awe at first, but then I started to feel these kind of sexist undertones throughout the whole thing, Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to try to call out basically in this poem, and at the same time, I wanted to celebrate what these women actually are.
0: Yeah, and so for anybody who doesn't watch baseball, the ball girl girls with people down each line to get the foul balls because uh, there's a lot of you know foul balls that go past first base, and and they they so they're they're fielding balls like the mainland baseball players are like like hit off the bat and uh, catch them and, before and they for get in the way stands.
7: way you know fewer reasons than you know the the actual players have to exactly. do. I exactly mean, for like minimum wage balls. or
0: free tickets. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Which and and before before they had the, just last a couple of years, they, they put up netting. But um, I don't know if you watched baseball at all before that, but before netting, they were like saving people's lives. Because, uh, you exact- know, people would be like eating yes. a hot dog with a ball cover and they'd, you know, catch it right in front of them. So, um, yeah. Well, here we go. This is here's to the ball girl, ball women. Go ahead whenever you're, you're ready.
7: Okay. Here's to the ball girl, ball woman. Let me into those statistics. You know, but never get to talk about with drunken, pissing, nacho-flavored men, all middle around the belt loops, but somehow still no cushion. Even ones just off the dugout who remind you of your father when he smiles, though not at you, but at that line drive quick catch that you made, but didn't make you. I won't understand a word. I don't watch baseball. But I don't turn it off when I see you squatting on a five-gallon bucket holding human shield position while the boys are off to play. My friend who watches baseball told me that you know to get up on a pop fly by watching all the outfielder's attitudes. They know a doomed trajectory when they see one, but not as well as you. You keep one eye on the ball and the other on the stargazers catching falling balls, and how they spit and always run away without looking any smaller to you. You know a doomed trajectory when you see one. The kind that shatters noses if you miss them, just a little late. And all the kids are watching, so you put your nose between them and that zipline fast pitch going wild until you stop it in your mitt and give it to the kid behind you like a gift it wasn't meant to be because you know statistics and because you know that time is a trajectory sometimes you have one shot to change that arc at the beginning before it spirals downwards you give us the space to see a doom trajectory before we know it's coming
0: yeah cool Paul. Thank thanks you. for sharing that yeah That was "Here's to the ball girl, ball women," Um, yeah, yeah. I always love a good, a good baseball poem. (laughs) As a, as a baseball fan, player, I appreciate it. That was J.D. Am I saying it right, Sashini? You're,
7: you're closer than most people. Sashini.
0: Sashini. Okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. J.D. Sashini. Good to, uh, good to join you, and uh, hope you call in again soon.
7: I will. Thank you very much, Tim.
0: Yep. Take care. You too. Yeah, J.D. Sashini. Sashini. Sorry. Okay, let us go to uh, Nivedita Karthik. Uh, hopefully we can... I should have got to her earlier so she can get to work. Let's see. It's not too late, though. Hey, Nivedita, how you doing uh, this morning?
8: Nathan, I'm
0: doing great, thank you. How about you? Oh, great. Um, you know, let me ask you, and I didn't ask the last couple of times, how, how are things uh, with, the, with the pandemic now? Are they starting to wind down in your area or is it still rough?
8: Um... It's not as bad as it was then, but it is winding down. In other places it is rising, but at least my apartment complex now is sort of slowing down, so mm-hmm. it's better here. But I think the cases are what they always were and will be. So the cases are still going on in India. The cases are still high. Uh, but I think the treatment is also going good. And but fingers crossed, everything just slows down. We've apparently hit the peak of the second wave, so things are supposed to start uh, mm-hmm. slowing down from here.
0: Yeah, well, that's good to hear. I hope so, and I'm really glad that your your immediate area is at least better. A little <laughs> Much bit. better yeah. than it
8: was yeah. the past couple of weeks. Definitely.
0: Yeah, well, that's great to hear. Uh, so what did you want to share tonight?
8: Um, in line with what Brent and Caitlin said, most of the poems are on insects. Like, I was really surprised. Yeah, this that... was the first random generator article that I got, and it was a list of spiders in Texas, and I was like... It was nothing except a list of binomial names of about 20 different spiders. I've put the link to the article at the end of the poem, though.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll pull it up so we can see. Oh, there's, Oh, look at all these spiders. <laughs> I won't, it's just a list of, it's, but you'll, it's a huge, huge mm-hmm. list of spiders. Um, okay, go ahead. This is Musings from the Web. Whenever you're ready, go ahead.
8: Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. Musings from the Web. The humans are afraid of me, tiny as I am with eight little spindly legs and a body no bigger than a nail. Tucked away in a corner, I spend my time trapping all manner of bugs and beasties that otherwise would ruin their day. Yet, the humans are afraid of me. I spend hours on my precious works of art. Every Cosuma thread pulled taut just so. Mindlessly, they vacuum it up. Yet, the humans are afraid of me. Patience is an art well learnt and perseverance, a skill I possess that they say they wish to learn from me. Yet, the humans are afraid of me. With every breath the humans take, I risk getting blown away. And now, now I am afraid of the humans.
0: <laughs> Great poem. Thanks so much. It was uh, Musings from the Web, Nivedita. Uh, hope you have a good uh, rest of your day. And uh, thanks for calling in, as always.
8: Thank you, Tim. It's lovely talking to you, too, as always. Have yep. a good evening. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: It's uh, Nivedita Karthik with Musings from the Web. Um... And just to show you, this is how many how many spiders they have. Watch it we'll just run down. Look at all these we're only in the A's. It just keeps going and going and going and going. So if you have arachnophobia, don't investigate every spider in the world. Okay, um, let's go next to I don't know if we um we run let's see, we have uh, Richard Westheimer still. And um, let's see this, 843 number. If you called from the 843 number, call again, because this was really early in the morning. I'm not sure. It was uh, around noon, somebody called. I don't want to call you back, because it, was, it wasn't it was during the show. But, but let's call up Richard Westheimer. And uh, this could be the last caller of the night. Hey, Richard, how are you doing this evening?
2: I'm doing well, and um, I just wanted to tell you how grateful I've been during the pandemic for these Tuesday nights. It's really been a a great great year of gather, gathering with you and and the hangers on on YouTube. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's really it's just a lot of fun for me. Can you still make Sunday nights? Is that a, is that a yeah. good time for yeah, you? Yeah, I, okay, I, good. So. I'm glad glad yeah. to hear it. I'm, yeah. I'm you know, I think it'll be better getting both together into one show a little more for the for the podcast version especially. Um, but, so I've been thinking about that for a long time, but I don't want to make people miss it either. So I, I'm a little worried about switching it up, but hopefully, we'll, hopefully we won't we'll, miss too many people.
2: We'll make it work. The interviews are great. And uh, speaking of which, this coming Sunday, starting at 9 o'clock for you, are yeah. you going to start it at 8.30?
0: Yeah, so that's what we're going to do. So the, the, get, the poet is going to be, it's sort of like the time that we always have. Originally, the first uh, half of the... Um, the first maybe like 20 episodes we had a pre-show and that was so I could get warmed up and get everything make sure everything was working and then we stopped doing that but I kind of missed doing that I, I, I want to like stretch it out and make it a little more casual so um mm. so I'm going to co- sort of pop on uh, half an hour before the actual show starts officially like with the and we'll do a Poetry respond live thing then where we'll talk to a few people for the news poems share that poem of that day um, and then I'll do it like a really quick break while I call up the guest, and then we'll have it for an hour. So for you, eleven thirty is the time next week, and that's only because um, the guest is in India and can't do the late show. Normally, it'll be five thirty or no eight thirty for you. This right. is still, getting so confusing already. Um, all the time zone shifting is uh, hard to keep track of. For me, it is uh, five thirty. For you in the East Coast, eight thirty. Um, that'll be when it really starts, and then we can. Um, and we don't have to feel rushed either, because I feel like. Um, you know, we're always rushing up at the dead, or a lot of episodes are rushing up. And I'm trying to squeeze everybody in if I can, and um, it'll just we'll just st- sort of stretch it out and take our time a little bit more. So that'll be be good.
2: Well, we we, we appreciate you taking one for the team and getting up a half hour early uh, this coming.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, well, we do have um, another poet, uh, Win Cooper, asked if you could have a morning show for complicated reasons, but uh, Win Cooper is going to be on at that time too, at the end of June um so we'll have a few shows early and then the fourth of july is a sunday so we're flexing it out to tuesday for that show so um so we'll still have some tuesday a little bit too and then at the end of the summer maybe we'll switch it back to the old way it depends how, how we everybody likes it but, but i'm going to try it out the other thing it does is it allows me to take a some road trip vacations which we
2: haven't done <laughs> in yeah a long I, was, time. I was thinking you are you are committed yeah uh, Sunday, Tuesday, Friday. That exactly. Um,
0: so we have one trip out to Oregon, and I can I'm flying back in Saturday night, so I can get to Sunday and um, and other stuff. We're going to do short trips and things, so um, it'll sort of free up the week a little bit more. We'll see how the audience, you know, how how their viewership reacts to having it combined. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be better. But if not, we might switch it back in the fall. Anyway, okay. <laughs> glad what, we can talk about po- it. What, so, one yeah.
2: other point of order is that you uh, you shared a link today on your Facebook page mm-hmm. from the Rattle. And it was not shareable. Oh, uh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. You, so the, you don't have it, the sharing settings on the really? share that
0: That is weird because other people did share it. Uh, Facebook is really not being friendly. No. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and I mean, and that just for everybody watching at home, I, I did share it on my personal page just because it was Michael Mark's poem of the day today that we posted. And um, nobody. The reach was like nothing. There was after two hours, it was sixty-seven people out of the twenty-five thousand followers we have. And now, twelve hours later, I think it was up to like two hundred. Um, and that's the only that's the reach it got. And, um, and just even with um year, a few years ago, with half as many followers, we had ten times the reach on every post. And they're just trying to uh, make money off advertising, which is frustrating. So if you if you're on social media, none of the social media platforms. Um, care about poetry at all or art whatsoever. (laughs) And so um, if you want to see that, you sort of have to work at getting it in your feeds and sharing it and clicking the like button here. So um, if you're watching this video, click like and go to the Rattles Facebook page or YouTube page or Twitter page or wherever you do social media and make sure you find and click our stuff because um, even reaching a lot of people and and people being engaged with our posts, it isn't enough to overcome their algorithms because uh, people want Basically, people want stories to be agitated about, I, think, I feel. That's kind of the number one thing that's shared on Facebook and, and YouTube and Twitter and, well, not YouTube, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thanks for bringing that up, Richard,
2: too. So yeah, so
0: this yeah. is a good wrap good, good we're <laughs> having right. here about multiple, multiple things that are worth talking about. But let's get back to your poem. So what did you have for us this week?
2: Uh, so I, I, did a, I did a poem on the, the Wikipedia thing, but this morning there was a news article about there was something on the news about mm-hmm. it so I'm oh, going to wow. read it for both. So oh, okay, you don't, you don't get to see it tonight. <laughs> okay, we'll keep it. Keep uh, it so I, I, I pulled up the uh, palindrome poem from last week which uh. I haven't
0: Okay, cool, well, here I'll put it up uh, for everybody and go ahead whenever you're ready. It's
2: up. Okay. And the epigraph which I have at the top, and you'll see why is this amazing line from Francis Bacon, uh, All colors will agree in the dark.
0: Oh, I love that. I never heard that before. That's great.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, if you go go in and read the sort of origins of it, it's it's a little wild. So all colors will agree in the dark. Francis Bacon. When sleep comes easy. All colors agree in the dark. And when the sun creeps up to the horizon and light peeks through our bedroom window, do you find that the hue of you, us lying next to each other, vibrates psychedelic, us together like oil paints smeared with fingertips? Or does it shine with new light, mine added to yours? before we move to our day before we move to our day did we shine with new light yours added to mine together like oil paint smeared with fingertips lying next to each other vibrating psychedelic did you find the hue of you as light peeked through our bedroom window as the sun crept up to the horizon recalled all our colors agreed in the dark, when sleep came easy.
0: Oh, that was wonderful! I, I love the uh, the reverse poem's were really fun to do, and that was a great example of it. Um, from I think it was last week's prompt. And uh, how how was it writing it? Did you struggle? I, I had more trouble than I sort of thought I would actually making the lines add up right. But when you do it right, and every line works, it's a it's a great form.
2: Well, it's an iterative mm-hmm. process, yeah, and because you you know you want it to come out someplace different than it went in. Mm-hmm. even though it's the same words and so um i had to sort of like re-go through the poem a couple times to mm-hmm. to find that sort of exit ramp as different and and the the breakthrough was the the title making the title part of the reverse poem mm-hmm. and and just adding that at the beginning and the end yeah. sort of ch- changed the tenor of the poem
0: yeah that made for a great last line good stuff thanks for sharing that richard thanks tim yep good night that was Richard Westheimer with When Sleep Comes Easy. And um, let me double-check to make sure I'm not missing anybody. Yes, okay. on uh, over here. Okay, so I think that is it for tonight. Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us on the Rattlecast. As always, it's always a pleasure. A uh, wonderful interview with... Um, with uh, Karen McCadden. It was fun to listen to her poems, and uh, and they're just wonderful. She's just a great poet. Uh, once again, her book was Amer- American Wake Here, and you can find that at Um and from Black Sparrow Press, of course. Now, uh, next week's guest, I, uh, we just talked about it with Richard, um, but next week's guest is going to be... Oh, wait, let me do the prompt first, sorry. Before we say that again, the prompt for next week is going to be... Right here. Uh, Write a poem about a parasite. Be as literal or figurative as you wish. That is the prompt for next week. Write a poem about a parasite. Be as literal or figurative as you wish. Of course, these prompts are always optional. You can share whatever you'd like on the open lines or poems about current events or stuff you've published recently. But the prompts are a way to just get everybody writing poetry, which is our goal here at Rattle all the time. These are prompts that Megan writes every week. And then me and Megan try to write a poem. And uh, you guys can share a poem, too. And uh, next week's guest, once again, is going to be um, Supriya Kar dhaliwal And her her new book is The Yak Dilemma. It's her first book. Um, Really interesting. It's too far away to reach. I I should have put it up on screen, but um, it's very interesting inside, too. And um, she's a poet based both in the UK and India, I believe. And um, she's in India now, so it's going to be the early show. And it's going to be Sunday, May 30th. noon eastern time, but we always start the show now half an hour early for Poetry Spawn Live. Now that it's Sundays, we're smushing the two shows together, so we'll do a half an hour of Poetry Spawn Live at 11.30 a.m. eastern time, and uh, then we'll take a quick break, bring in Supriya, uh, talk about the Yak Dilemma, interview her for an hour, then we'll just open up the lines. and Anybody who wants to share poems after that, if you didn't get in in the first half an hour, you can share a poem in the second hour, if that makes sense. So hopefully that's not too confusing. I think this is a slightly better format for several reasons. Um, it'll be a little easier to... I'm also going to do more clips from shows, too, because that's a lot of fun to do, too. So um, so that is Rattlecast number 95, the new the new day, Sunday, May 30th, right at the same time, but a half an hour earlier, as uh, Poetry Pond Live has been. Uh, that's going to be with uh, Supriya Khar-Daliwal and her new book, The Yak Dilemma. So we'll see you then. Hope you have a good night and uh, talk to you soon. Good night.